Our second reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being with Christ, or I should say being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father Lord may your word live in us and bear much fruit for your glory isn't that an incredible passage I um I never get over it, that passage. Never get over it. I hope you don't either. How many of you have heard of uh, the great pastor Don Carson? Uh, He's a Canadian pastor, he's a writer and a theologian and I think it was around 2007, 2008 that he spoke at CMS Summer School up on Mount Tambourine and it was a treat. I tell you, it was just fantastic. He was incredible to hear. But he's written a few books, and a beautiful little book that he's written is called Basics for Believers. And I just want to share with you his opening paragraph from that book. I would like to buy about three quid's worth of gospel, please. Not too much, just enough to make me happy, but not so much that I get addicted. I don't want so much gospel that I learn to really hate covetousness and lust. I certainly don't want so much gospel that I start to love my enemies, cherish self-denial and contemplate missionary service in some alien culture. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. I would like just enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well-behaved 
but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving too greatly enlarged. Yes, I'd like about three quids worth of gospel, please. (laughs) Now, he goes on to say that none of us would ever be crass enough to put it like that. (laughs) But I reckon it's true that most of us, if we were really honest, would be quite happy if the gospel demanded just a little bit less, please. Just a little bit less. Would I be right? Wouldn't it be so much better if it was easy and comfortable to be a Christian? Particularly with the pressures that the world puts on us these days. I mean, it's just not fair. But we're getting into Philippians chapter 2. Now you'll remember that Paul is writing uh, this letter to the Philippians around about the year 60-61 AD and he's writing from prison. Uh, most likely in Rome. So, as I've said before, it's fair enough to assume that life's probably not all that crash-hot at the moment. But despite these circumstances, this letter is full of joy and full of encouragement. Throughout this little letter, Paul is telling his readers and us to put the gospel first and to work out its call on our lives. Put the gospel first and work out its call on our lives. Make that your central goal, just as Paul makes it central in his life. Prioritise the gospel and what it's asking you to do. Centuries and centuries ago, uh, the great Augustine was asked to list the central principles of the Christian life. And this is what he answered. First, humility. Second, humility. Third, humility. Well, Paul zooms in on the fellowship that the Christians in Philippi are sharing. And really, he's as subtle as a full-length mirror, I say. Subtle as a full-length mirror. He's hinting here at the fact that there is some disunity amongst them. But he shows that unity is based on humility. And he gives us the reason. He uses four ifs to explain the reason. Now, he's not using the word if uh, in the sense of doubting or wondering or questioning like we sometimes do, you know, if this or if that, what would happen. It's a bit more emphatic than that. It's like he's saying, if indeed, if indeed... In this situation, he's using the word if as a synonym for since. Since you have encouragement, since you have comfort, since you share things in the spirit, since you have tenderness and compassion. In other words, he's saying that these things are a given. They're definite. And because of that, there are some consequences. All of his ifs are related to being in Christ. The phrase in Christ is it's like Paul's shorthand description of what it is to be a Christian. In Christ. And all and these four givens are encouragement, comfort, sharing, and compassion. 
He's saying that these things are all characteristics of being in Christ and they are the reason we should live with a humble mindset. And he then goes on to the four thens. If this, then this. The privileges bring responsibilities. If we have these things in Christ, then we are responsible to live for Christ. And that means being like-minded. One in spirit and one in mind. Verse 2, being like-minded. Not being selfish or full of conceit. Verse 3. Being humble and valuing others more than yourself. Verse 3 again. And being concerned for the interests of others. Verse 4. Now, I need reminding of stuff like that. Regular reminding. Because by default, I find myself to be pretty selfish. In fact, very selfish. That's my default. And I find that the world around me encourages me all the time to be selfish, doesn't it? And when I get reminded to not be selfish, I appreciate it so much. When I get reminded of all that I have in Christ, I value it again. When I get reminded of the reasons to live for Christ and the reason to live like Christ, I rethink my life and repurpose my priorities. I need regular reminding. So I guess we need to ask ourselves whether as a church are we beyond that sort of reminder? Are we really any different for the Philippian, than the Philippians? Or has Noosa Anglican got all that together? Are we just solid? And to give the reason just a little bit more impact, Paul goes on with the greatest model ever of a humble life, of service, and of humble, even humiliating sacrifice. And that model is the one and only Jesus Christ. I want to read these verses again because you can never get too much. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you ever tire of hearing that? Can I ask, however, how many of you have ever gone back to a shop and exchanged something? Have you done that? I've done it a few times. Is that a lot? Yes. Yeah, a lot. Okay. I would guess that when you've done it, um, it's because the item had something wrong with it or uh, you changed it for something more satisfactory. It might be for size. Oh, dear. Um, or personal taste or something that actually does what you need it to do. So the exchange, you swap it for something better, don't you? That's the normal practice. 
But I want you to imagine this. Imagine that this is your car. Nice, isn't it? It's a Subaru BRZ, in case you're wondering. I wouldn't mind a Subaru BRZ. That's why it's up there. Imagine this is your car. If a Subaru BRZ doesn't do it for you, how about a Porsche? (laughs) Got to be red. Whatever. Imagine it's yours. Is that good? Wouldn't be bad, would it? But somebody comes to you and gives you the keys to another car and says, congratulations, this is now your car. (laughs) How would you feel? Would you happily and willingly give up the Porsche for that? Would you do it? Let's get a little more basic now. Imagine this is your bathroom. But somebody comes along after church and says, tonight though, you'll be having a bath in this. Would you happily do it? Or imagine this is your home. But you get moved into this house. Would you do it with joy? Well, as nice as the Porsche and the first bathroom and the first house are, as nice as they are, my friends, they are nothing compared to heaven. Nothing compared to heaven. But Jesus willingly left all the glory of heaven all the glory of being God in order to come to earth. He left something which I have no doubt was far better and came to something which was considerably less. Not only initially in an unhygienic stable, but the stark contrast kept going. As a young child, he was a refugee. He and his parents had to leave their country fleeing in order to save his life. He grew up to be ridiculed and beaten and humiliated and stripped and ultimately killed. Jesus left heaven willingly to face all that. It seems an insane thing to do. But he wasn't insane. He was humble and loving. This passage we have before us today is a narrative of Jesus' almightiness, his pre-existence, his greatness, followed by his earthly life and beyond. It's not just a series of propositions, it's real. What we get here is a glimpse into the very nature of divinity that we call our God. What we're seeing here is what it is to be God. There's a publication called the Street Bible and Rob Lacey captures it really well in that. I won't say it, I don't think I'll be saying it as I probably should, but we'll have a go. He took off all the royal bits 
cut up his heavenly credit cards, chucked his global contact list, walked off without his bodyguards. He unplugged his airwave connection, left his precious star collection. He gave it all up. The good news is that God is not like us selfish creatures. But he is most clearly seen in Jesus taking the role of a servant, dying for us out of love. And all that so that we might be saved, that we might be rescued and redeemed and love one another. So what's the result of all this? Well, amazingly, Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth has changed who God is forever. From the highest place to the lowest place and then to the highest place again, God has vindicated Jesus. Verses 9 to 11, therefore, see the result, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is Lord, Lord of everything. The lowest low that Jesus went to is matched by the highest height of exaltation. Verses 9 to 11 are not about God making Jesus something he wasn't already. But it's about placing him in the place of honour and lordship over the whole universe. The humiliated, crucified Christ is the exalted, cosmic Christ. The one who is worthy of worship. Jesus becoming a servant was not just temporary, but a permanent new identity that he takes into heaven forever. His humble humanity is now part of the Godhead forever. For us, serving others, serving each other in humility, with the other's interest at heart is not something to be done occasionally. But it should be second nature because we too have become servants. We live in a world, don't we, where small things have great impact. The size of computer chips gets smaller and smaller and smaller every few months. And their capacity to hold more and more information increases as they get smaller. It's a, it's a wonder. It's an incredible thing. But there is another wonder, my friends, and that is that 2,000 years ago, the wonder of someone very powerful made himself extremely small. God himself came to earth and his name is Jesus. Jesus put other people before himself. Jesus put you before himself. God wanted to reconcile people to himself, so he sent 
Jesus. God and man. Jesus knew what it was to be totally human. He knew tiredness. He knew hunger. He knew sadness, grief, disappointment. He knew what it was to have a party. He knew what it was to be frustrated, to be rejected. He knew pain, suffering and death. He knows what it is to be human. He knew to be, that he would be popular one week and put to death the next. There was incredible opposition to him. The religious leaders couldn't cope with his radical ideas and his popularity, so they executed him on a cross. But that wasn't an accident of history, and it wasn't the death of a martyr. It was the willing submission to death of God. On the cross, Jesus, who had never sinned, took upon himself the punishment for your sin and the sin of the whole world. That sin that separates you and me from God. Jesus took that penalty, that consequence, so we don't have to. And this means that if we accept that he took the penalty for us and thank him for it, then we are forgiven by God and free to be in relationship with him forever. And as people forgiven for everything we have ever done wrong, we can now live our life with him as number one in all we do and say, instead of ourselves as number one, which I can tell you always gets us nowhere. But then there's more, because Jesus didn't stay dead. (laughs) He didn't stay dead. He went through death, and he came out live and victorious three days later. I wonder how many of us here today have fully grasped that fact personally. Maybe it's only just beginning to come together for you. Maybe you've been wondering... Maybe you've been asking God to make some sense of it all. Well, if you're wondering, or if it's all beginning to come together, I want to encourage you today to open your heart, open your mind and your whole life to Jesus. If you've already done that in your life, then refresh it today. Make it new. But if you've never done it before, I want to invite you to step out. Be radical. Say sorry to Jesus for all you've done. Thank him for his death on the cross for you, for the way he humbled himself. And I invite you today to commit yourself to live for him and to live for others the way he has lived for us. Perhaps you might like to just put your hands, palms facing up as a symbol of opening your life to him. Maybe today you come with incredible burdens in your life. Maybe you are suffering depression or you're struggling or you're in pain. Maybe you're already a Christian but you know your Christian life isn't what it ought to be and you want to surrender that to God. Do it today. And I encourage you that if 
you want to make it physical, then stand up where you are. Make a stand for Jesus. Show him that you mean business today. Either in a fresh way or as a sign of renewal. You're among friends here. You will find love and support. I'm going to pray now and I invite you to pray this prayer with me. I'm going to say it slowly so that in your mind you can say it as well. And if God calls you and you want to stand throughout this prayer, then do it as a sign of renewal. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we see your greatness in so many things around us. And yet we also see failure and brokenness in our world and in our own lives. Oh Lord, we desperately want it to be different. I am so sorry, Lord, for the things that I have done or thought or cling to that are not of you. Please forgive me and come into my life as my supreme Lord and Saviour and transform me from the inside out. I want to live for you. I want to live for others. Please send me your Holy Spirit and enable me to do it. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Friends, if you have made a first-time decision today, I encourage you to tell somebody. It's not too late to stand. Show the Lord you mean business. But if that's not what you want to do at the moment, that's fine. But I still ask you to tell somebody about your decision today and to search out ongoing care and nurture. I want to conclude by reading again those beautiful words of affirmation written by Paul describing what God has done with Jesus as a result of all that he did. God has highly exalted Jesus and given him the name above all names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.